We all believe in Hashem. We believe that, that Hashem is in control and that He has our best interests at heart. The real challenge is to have bitachon, trust in Hashem, trust that Hashem will do things in a way that is clearly good for us. And that trust is so powerful, it actually changes the reality and the outcome. We're going to learn that from Moshe Rabbeinu, because the Torah tells us, Vayigdal Moshe, Moshe matured, Vayayitza he went out to see what was happening with his brothers, and unfortunately, Vayar Ish Mitri Maka Goimer, the first thing he sees is an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Jewish person. Vayachas Mitri Goimer, he takes action and he kills this Egyptian. And then, the next day, Moshe goes out after having buried that Egyptian the previous day, and he sees two Jews fighting. He says to the instigator, to the one who's clearly the wicked one, he says, why are you hitting your friend? To which the fellow responds, Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? The Torah tells us Moshe at that point is afraid. Yesterday's actions are now public and there's going to be problems. Sure enough, the Torah continues, Here's the story of Moshe having killed the Egyptian. And he wants to kill Moshe. Moshe manages to escape to Midian. <coughs> what Rashi notes about Moshe's fear is, the simple understanding is he was afraid. The Midrash is, he wasn't just afraid for himself, but he was afraid by what he had seen. He was afraid that he now saw that there were wicked Jews who were willing to expose their fellow Jews, in this case Moshe himself, to the authorities. And so he said, perhaps under these circumstances, they don't deserve to be redeemed. So now let's analyze what's going on over here, the reason for Moshe Rabbeinu's so-called fear. My timer, first of all, let's analyze Rashi. How come it is that Rashi loy stopek Rashi befirish akasu kipshutai? Why doesn't Rashi just stop at the point where he said, simply, that means that Moshe was afraid. Sheyorel enafshai, he was afraid for his own safety. Kem shenoidem nispasem hadova shahorag esamitri, now realizing that the word was out, that he had killed an Egyptian, which obviously was going to be a capital offense. Offense. Why does Rashi not stop there, but instead, he also quotes the Medrash, which says, where he was worried about the Jewish people and their spiritual status, and perhaps they had lost their opportunity for redemption. Why does Rashi quote it if it's not even hinted at in the Pasuk? Especially, if you look at this perspective that he's worried about the, the, the conduct of the Jewish people, then you have to take the rest of the Pasuk, which is, where Moshe himself says, I think the word is out, you'll have to completely take that out of its literal translation. That he is referring to the fact that it's known that he had killed the Egyptian, which would explain why Moshe was afraid. And the forest should be in Nacher, and you'll have to give another interpretation. Which leads Rashi himself when explaining that next part of the Pasuk. First, he says, literally, he's afraid the word got out. And then he also quotes Gamas Pirisha Midrash. He also has to quote the Midrash. Moshe says, I now have clarity on the thing that really bothered me. How come out of all the nations, the Jews are the ones who sinned in a way that they deserve to be punished this way? <coughs> to have to be subjugated to such intense labor. 
So why isn't Rashi happy just simply to say, Moshe was afraid, that's what happens. So the truth is, there's a, re- a really simple answer, and that is, Rashi is not only addressing these specific words in the Pasuk, he's actually addressing a bigger question that speaks to the whole story. The big question is, why is it relevant to us to know this detail, to know that Moshe was afraid and said that the word that his activities had been exposed. Moshe's fear didn't cause him to behave in a particular way. Moshe doesn't run for his life until the word gets to Paroi and Paroi arrests him and wants to kill him and only then he runs. So if Moshe's fear is not directly related to the next part of his story, why does the Torah have to tell us about it? And the truth is, maybe you'd think the entire story doesn't have to be told. Batos and Aviram and their fight, and of course the fact that they said, are you going to kill us? Like, or the one said, are you going to kill me? Like you killed the Egyptian. Maybe you'll argue that the Torah should have just told us that Paroi somehow, without getting into details, heard that Moshe had killed the Egyptian, and therefore Vayivrach Moshe Goimer Moshe had to run for his life. Maybe you'll ask, who needs the whole story of Dosan and Aviram fighting? And then, of course, accusing Moshe that he may want to kill them as he had killed the Egyptian. The way Rashi explains the story, we have to know about Dosan and Aviram. Because Rashi tells us that the whole point is that they were fellow Jews who were willing to expose him to Paroi. Which of course tells us how the news got to Paroi and also tells us that this is why Moshe is afraid. Oh my gosh, the Jewish people perhaps don't deserve Geula. The question that still remains is, why did the Pasuk have to tell us Moshe was afraid? How does it add anything to the way the story plays out? Because that's not clear, therefore Rashi has to quote the Medrash, that there's another layer that Moshe is not only worried for himself, but he's worried for the entire Jewish people, perhaps because of people like Dosan and Avirab, and their Lashon Hora, the Jews may not deserve Geula. Now, yes, it's all very well that Rashi had to quote the Medrash, but a Pasuk always has to be read and has to make perfect sense according to a simplest explanation. Not only was Rashi not only quoting a medrash, but he specifically first quoted the simple understanding and only afterwards the medrash, which implies that the simple interpretation that Moshe was afraid because of, of having killed the Mitzri, and people now knew about it. That's the primary explanation. That means that the simple interpretation, that Moshe was simply worried for his own life, because word is now out that he had killed an Egyptian, has to have an explanation and a reason. I'll call upon him, even if that reason is not absolute pshat, 
why the Pasuk had to tell us that Moshe was afraid. What's the Torah trying to teach us? In order to understand that, we're going to look at the principle that Midrash teaches us that there are two classic icons of Jewish history who both were afraid that perhaps the Ebishter wouldn't come through on a promise to them. The Medrash tells us on the Pasuk, that before Yaakov Ovin was going to encounter Esau, he was very afraid. Rabbi Pinchas B'Shem Reb Ruven says, that there were two iconic personalities in Jewish history who had promises from the Ebishter, and they were still afraid that perhaps the promises wouldn't come through. One is the choice, the, the, the uh, apex forefather, and the ultimate prophet. The former is Yaakov Avinu. Who they promised, I'm with you. And he was still afraid when he had to encounter Esau. As the Pasuk tells us. And likewise, the ultimate prophet is Moshe And Abishta promised him, I will be with you. And he was also afraid later on. As the Pasuk says, Don't be afraid of Oig. Says the Medrash, Logically, you only tell a person, Don't be afraid, if they are afraid. So clearly Moshe was afraid, despite Abishta's um, promises to him. So there's a correlation between Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, the commentaries on the Medrash have two different views of what exactly this is. Is this complementary to Moshe and Yaakov? Or is it critical of Moshe and Yaakov? So there are different opinions amongst the commentaries in the Medrash. One school of thought says, This is a huge accolade for Yaakov and Moshe. That even though they had a divine assurance of protection, they were such self, um, they were such um, uh, humble individuals. So they didn't want to rely on what the Ebishter promised them. Because in the humility they thought perhaps we've done something that is lacking in our service of Hashem and therefore don't deserve the brachas that the Ebishter promised us. They no longer deserve the promise. That's one school of thought. It's to their credit. But there's another school of thought that actually the Midrash wants us to know we shouldn't learn from the example of Moshe and Yaakov. Because the pr- appropriate way to behave is not to have fear when you have Debishtah's promise. But in fact, at all times, a person should have a clear, absolute trust in Hashem. And this is borne out by what the Medrash continues to say. Where the Medrash quotes how the Navi criticizes the Jewish people and says, You've forgotten the Ebishter who made you. And you're always afraid. Where you see that there's a criticism from the Navi against the Jewish people for having been afraid when they should know they have the Ebishter's protection. So now let's go with that school of thought that says the appropriate and ideal way to behave is not to have fear. What's so bad if a person is humble and thinks perhaps I haven't served Abishta properly and I don't deserve the promise? What's bad about that? 
Surely that is a very lofty level to attain. That a person is at such an intense level of humility. That the person is always double checking themselves that perhaps their avoider is not the way that it should be. And maybe they are pockets of, of avoider missing. But the truth is, <clears throat> this is not a question simply about a medrash and opinions in the medrash, but it's this question speaks to a far greater question. How are we to understand the fact that the Torah instructs us to have bitochin, trust in Hashem? Pirush bitochin, what does it mean to have trust in Hashem? It's not just that I have faith that the Ebesher could do good for me or could save me from trouble. That's not Bitochen. Bitochen is to trust that the will do good for me and will save me from difficulties. Bitochen is that this is absolutely certain to me. <coughs> To the extent that I'm completely at ease and I have no anxiety. Okay, as that the essence of bitochen is menuchas nefesh aboteach, a state where he who has or she who has trust in Hashem is completely at ease. and where the person completely relies on. He who the person trusts in others, Eibishter, that Eibishter will do what is good and best for the person in the area that I'm trusting that Eibishter will look after me. Which raises a really important question. On what basis can a person be so absolutely certain that Eibishter will do good for them? If you consider that even when the Ebishter gave a clear promise to an individual like Yaakov or Moshe Rabbeinu, still there is room for concern that perhaps that promise won't be fulfilled because the person will no longer deserve it. Then how much more so if a person hasn't been given a direct personal assurance from Hashem like us? How can our bitochen be, as the Chavis Halavavah says, to the point that we're completely calm because we know that Debesh is going to do what we hope for? Every single one of us surely should be afraid of, perhaps I've done something to lose the rights to that brocha. Like the Pesach says, Nobody on earth is so perfectly righteous that they never do anything wrong. Especially when you consider that even Yaakov Avinu, the ideal, the pinnacle of, of the Avos, was afraid perhaps he fell short. What about us? So on what basis can we have such confidence that Debesh is going to do good for us in a way that looks good for us? So one attempted answer, which is what most people try to explain, is the first we'll look at, and then we'll see that it's not sufficient. Perhaps we could explain like this. Clearly the foundation for trust in Hashem is faith that Debeshe is the cause of every single thing that happens. 
And therefore, if I'm in a difficult place, it's not because that financial cycle or, God forbid, that medical challenge or that human being has power over me and puts me in this place. Rather, everything is the deciding this should happen to me right now. That's why I'm completely calm. Because either way you look at it, I have no reason to be anxious. If I don't deserve something negative to happen, then the will save me from the financial issue or the medical issue or the person or whatever it is. The will, will save me because I don't, I, it's not coming to me. Regardless of whether there be no clear natural path to escape the problem, nobody can dictate to the Ebishter what the rules are, and he can change nature and perform miracles. On the other hand, and if I don't deserve that special treatment, that salvation, I deserve a rough time. I can still be completely at peace. Because the person will realize it's not because that thing has power, it's because they just decided this is the path that the person has to go through. The person didn't, he wasn't Yotze serving the Ebishter as he should, and therefore the person deserved X and Y. So the person's not afraid of anything, any entity, any financial cycle, any disease. It's all Ebishter. Especially when the person considers whatever Ebishter does may be uncomfortable or even painful, but it's certainly for my benefit. We know that even those consequences slash punishments that Torah describes to us, to cleanse a person from the blemishes of sin. I have no reason to be afraid. What should, should, I, what should I be afraid of? Which means, that there's actually no contradiction over here. A person can have absolute trust in Hashem. David is completely in control and I accept that. Even at the same time that the person also knows that perhaps they behaved in a way that they don't deserve special treatment and they're going to have the difficulty. Because knowing that everything that occurs in a person's life comes from the Eibishter allows the person to always be in a state of calm and peace and tranquility. What about the school of thought we quoted in the, in, in the commentators on the Medrash who say it's ideal not to have any fear and we actually should not learn from Moshe and Yaakov who were afraid of the possibility of a lack of commitment to David or lack of service. That's because if you read the Psukim according to Pshat, the implication of the simple reading of the Psukim is that they weren't afraid of the Averas per se, or the Chet, or the Lack, or whatever it is. But actually, the simple reading of the Psukim makes it sound like they were afraid of the issue. The simple understanding of the Pasuk is Yaakov was afraid of that person, Esau. That's never appropriate. 
Because look how you, how you responded. I'm afraid of Esav, therefore I'm going to split the camp into two to protect us. Now the Medrash wants us to know that's something we should never do. Be afraid of the apparent cause of our tzuras. And likewise, There also the Pasuk seems to indicate that Moshe should not be afraid of him. If we were to interpret that and apply it in our own lives and become afraid of a person or a situation, etc., that would be inappropriate. That would be a lack of trust in the Ebishter. So perhaps the explanation is if you trust the Ebishter, you trust that whatever is going to happen is the best. That's actually not a good enough explanation of what Bitochen is or how it works. Because the real meaning of the word Bitochen is not just to have equilibrium. Okay, I'm good. I'm in a good headspace. I'm not ruffled. Rather, it is the confidence that things will be good in a way that looks and feels good. I have absolute trust that the Ebershaw will get me out of this pickle. How do you get there? And on what basis? How can you be so sure? The way we've just explained it implies. The simplest understanding of Bitochen is not something that is accessible to most people. Because most people are not free of any lack of commitment to the Ebishter. So who really honestly can say, I deserve the Ebishter's special kindness and treatment? So surely then the only way to explain Bitochen would be that even if I don't deserve the best treatment, I'm okay with that because I know that everything comes from the Ebishter. And therefore whatever the Ebishter does is really in my interest. It's just not open, clear um, um, goodness. It's goodness you've got to work out philosophically. Only somebody who's a perfect tzaddik and has perfect service of the and they have no fear of any lack on their part. Apparently only they could really trust that good things will always happen in their lives. So it would appear, except that's not what the sources say. Which is one of the core sources that we learn the concept of Bitochen in. He goes into all the reasons about why Bitochen is so powerful and meaningful and, 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 and confidence generating. So he says that a person has to have absolute confidence in the Abishas unconditional, absolute generosity and goodness, which means that the shows that goodness to those who deserve it, as he shows to those who don't deserve it. And therefore we have to have trust that the Abishas giving is consistent, and Abishter's kindness is never cut off. In other words, he's telling us that 
Bitochen is I trust and I have confidence in Hashem's goodness, even to those who don't deserve it, which may include me. Which takes us back to the original question, on what basis do I have that confidence? Of course we accept that Abish's kindness even extends to those who don't necessarily deserve it. Surely we also accept that sometimes we deserve consequences of inappropriate behavior. So what is the basis for our absolute trust in the Ebi That a person can be clearly confident that the will do good even if you don't deserve it. On what basis? The chutzpah. How could I stand up with that kind of expectation from Nebuchadnezzar that I don't behave necessarily as I should, but you're still going to be good to me anyway? So we'll understand that based on a really famous anecdote from the Tzemach Tzedek, that the Friedrich Rebbe regularly quoted, there was a chosid who approached the Tzemach Tzedek begging for a bracha, for somebody who is in an incredibly dangerous situation, health-wise, and the, and the Tzemach Tzedek replied to him, Tracht gut, vetzayn gut. Chshoiv toiv toiv. Think good, and it will be good. Umashma midvorov, which implies, She'etzema Just thinking that things will be good, which is habitochen, absolute confidence in the that toivis will produce a good outcome, in a way that is clear and revealed. And we have to understand how this works. What are the mechanics of Tracht Gut Vetzayn Gut? will explain it as follows. The fact that the Torah instructs us that we have an obligation to trust the Ebishter is not just a detailed and a natural outcome from the fact that we trust that everything is in the Ebishter's hands and that the Ebishter is gracious and compassionate. If it's a natural outcome, because I have absolute faith in Hashem, and because I know Hashem is in charge, therefore I trust everything will be good, doesn't need its own independent mitzvah, its own independent instruction. It's part of emunah. Rather, we'd have to say, bitachon is its own dimension of how we grow in our commitment to Hashem. The definition and essence of this particular area of development is that a person works to the point that they completely rely on the Ebeshtah to the point that the person totally submits their entire lot, their future to the Ebeshtah. Like the Pasuk says, you put your load onto the Ebeshtah. Which means it's an avoider to say, I rely on nothing else but the Not the medical procedures, not the financial cycles, not so and so who has political connections. Trust completely in the the Chavis Alavavis alludes to this by telling us what is the definition of Bitochen? A fascinating de- definition. Like a servant who is effectively chained or imprisoned in the prison that belongs to his owner, his master. 
שכל ביטחונו של היוסר הוא רק על אדוני. He completely relies and trusts that that master will provide him with everything that he needs. שמוסר בידו, he's completely under his jurisdiction. ולא יכול אדם להזיקוי, ולהועיל לא יכול לזה לעשות. Which means nobody can harm him and nobody can help him. Because he's in a protected environment on the one hand, and he's on the other hand in an environment which completely relies on the sustenance that his master will give him. That's bitochon. I have no one else that can harm me and no one else that could help me but the Ebeshter. Velochen, muven she bitochon se bakadosh boruch boifen she ina matzavativi meshane klal. Naturally, when a person takes that attitude, the physical circumstances become irrelevant. So even if the laws of nature dictate that there's no way out, nobody has ever survived this, nobody has ever come back from this. The person with Bitochen totally relies on Ebeshter, who has obviously not got the restrictions and limitations of nature. That is the basis for the person's trust. That the Ebeshter will do good for the person in a way that is clearly and apparently good. Even if technically the person doesn't really deserve that goodness. In other words, the translation and the meaning of the word Bitochen is not Shemamin, that a person believes. That because the Ebishter's benevolence is unlimited and therefore can be equally directed to the deserving and the non-deserving. So belief, Emun is not, okay, so now I believe the Ebishter's going to shower me because the Ebishter has unlimited benevolence. Because if we were to take that attitude, out the window goes one of the 13 fundamental beliefs of Judaism that there are consequences for actions. Rather, bitochoin is difficult work. It is internal toil that a person has to completely shift themselves and their perspective. And that hard work that a person does to completely shift their perspective, that elicits this incredible brocha from the Ibishna. In other words, by reaching a point where a person totally and entirely relies on the Ebishter at the depths of his being. And how do you know that's happened? Because the person has absolutely no concerns or anxiety. That stimulates the Ebishter to treat the person in a way that suits that lack of anxiety. Even though technically the person doesn't deserve it. Well, now they do deserve it because they've worked so hard on achieving bitochen, on achieving this absolute trust in the That's what it means when the Torah tells us, trust the Ebeshter or other expressions that are similar. That a person has to completely put their load onto the Ebeshter and trust. I'm handing it over to you, Ebeshter, and you will turn this out in the best way possible that I can see with my own eyes as being good.
And when a person totally relies on Nebuchadnezzar, without any trying to work out, can I, is there a way out, is there an escape route? Deibishter's response, as always, is commensurate with our behavior. Deibishter protects the person and shows him compassion. Even though according to all the rules of nature, the person doesn't deserve any of that. So that things turn out in a way that is absolutely good and positive. That's the meaning of what the Tzemach Tzedek told us desperate Chassid. That achieving that state of absolute trust in Nebuchadnezzar produces the good results. Not that I trust that they can be good results. My trust causes the good results. It's not that the goodness is a side or byproduct of the bitochen. This is bitochen. Total reliance on the Ebishter, Absolute trust in the Ebishter, which produces absolute goodness. With that in mind, we can go back to our parasha. That's why the parasha had to tell us that detail about Moshe's fear. That Moshe, we have to know, grew afraid after hearing another Jewish person say, Will you kill me like you killed the other? The, the Torah inserted that detail into the story to express to us and teach us the foundational principle of Bitochen. That it is bitochen, complete trust in Eibushah, despite the circumstances, that brings about Eibushah's miraculous salvation. And the corollary is also true. That if a person does not get out of a, a difficult situation, could well be that their bitochen was lacking. That's why the Torah tells us It tells us that Moshe says Oh my, I think the, 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 the secret activities of yesterday Killing the Mitzri are now public record What happens straight away after that That momentary lapse of Bitochen Parah hears and he wants to kill Moshe Immediately there's a negative response Moshe has to run because Moshe Rabbeinu had that momentary fear. And he for a moment lapsed in absolute trust that David would protect him, that he wouldn't come to harm for having done something positive. What did he do positive? Protecting a Jew from being beaten by an Egyptian. And to criticize or intervene with two Jews who were fighting. Because there was that temporary lapse in absolute trust that David would take care of it, therefore that opened the possibility of a negative outcome, and Paro is now in his case. Volaya Shlomi can actually add another layer to this. She says, That's why the Pasuk doesn't just tell us that Moshe thought these thoughts, but he actually said it. Not only did he think, oi, it's now known, he said it's now known. 
שזה מגדל אויד יויסר הדגושת החסרן בביטוחן. I'm going to say something aloud that highlights, in this case, the lack of trust. שלא יזה בבת שאולך שש במחשבתו, אלא גם הציע בדיבר, not only did Moshe temporarily have this, this doubt, maybe the Ebishter is not going to protect me, maybe I'm in trouble, he actually said it. Had Moshe exhibited absolute trust at every single moment, and would have exhibited no anxiety about the circumstances, that it is public knowledge and it might reach Paroi, that trust would have actually caused the whole story to disappear and go away, and only good would have happened. And this teaches us something not only about our levels of trust in Abishan when it comes to physical challenges, but also in our avoidah. If a yid confronts obstacles or, or interference with trying to keep Torah mitzvahs, the person has to realize that I have the power to dissolve these, these, these barriers. That if the person will have complete trust in the that the will help him, that everything will be good. And that bitachin is so, so, so uh, strong that the person has no anxiety at all. Needless to say, the person doesn't sit back waiting for the miracle, but they are pragmatic in trying to do whatever they can to overcome the obstacles. We have an absolute assurance. Think good and it will turn out and become good. All of the obstacles will fall away. And the person will actually have good. Good that is revealed and open. That you can see with your own eyes. In the reality of the world. Not only is this relevant in Avoido, but it's relevant in a far greater sense. Just like when the Yidden had to leave Mitzrayim, we're told that one of the reasons they got out of Mitzrayim is because they had absolute faith in Moshe's word that they would get out. And the same applies to our pending Geula with Mashiach. The Medrash tells us just the fact that we look with anticipation and absolute trust that the Geula is coming now, that is reason enough to get out. That should be our experience, that our complete trust, that it is very, very near to see the Geula. That should be the key to open the doors for the Ebershah to take us out of Golis immediately now.